On this edition of the program, we bring you the DeSantis Newsom debate recap that you need, but probably didn't ask for. And Jen Briney of Congressional Dish joins us to talk about Congress's compressed schedule, get a little bit into foreign policy too. It's a fun chat. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, and Craig. to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for December 1st, 2023. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you here in Austin, Texas. And by golly, do we have a lot here for you. Episode's a little late today. Normally it's up for your morning drive. So I apologize for everybody who uh, might expect to hear my dulcet tones echo across their vehicle on your commute on a Friday. But I did want to spend some time and get good clips of the Hannity Newsom debate. That was only really going to happen in the morning, but I did. So let me give you my top lines here. Number one, I'm glad that this happened. And To be totally frank, I hope that other networks repeat it. I hope that MSNBC repeats it. I hope that CNN repeats it. I hope that you can get outside of the confines of what the Republican National Committee wants to do, which is totally control any people that are currently running in their primary The Republican National Committee wants to control their ability to talk to each other. But do I want to see Vivek and Rashida Tlaib on MSNBC? I do. Do I want to see Chris Christie and Chuck Schumer? I do. I think that these are good and substantive. And there were even moments where I thought, and I'll give Gavin Newsom credit for this. He made a point to say, hey, I I respect you. We have political disagreements, but I respect you. In my historical series, Raise the Dead, talking about the 1960 election, I highlighted a moment that happened after that extraordinarily contentious election that did not wrap up until the next day. It was not but a week after it was decided that then still Vice President Nixon and President-elect Kennedy got together for, I I can't remember if it was lunch or dinner. It was a meal. They sat down for a meal. And I posited that I think that should be something that we expect from our candidates. I like that idea. That after the hard-fought campaign, when the feelings are raw, that these two candidates sit down with each other. 
Because I think exposure to one another takes some of the steam out of the demonization that we've seen in our politics. And look, there's plenty of demonization in this debate. We're going to get to it. But still, I want to just say that top line. I like the fact that it existed. I think it was good that it existed. And I would encourage people who are interested in either Ron DeSantis or Gavin Newsom to watch them debate. Here's my other top line. It is a consistent refrain from the right flank of our ideological spectrum that the media is biased against conservatives. It is the animus that gave AM radio the kind of play that it has been given, that gave Fox News the runway to succeed. And without getting too far into whether or not the media is tilted left, I I will say that I, I don't really know offhand many journalists that I know that are outward uh, Republicans. I know a lot that are outward Democrats. I don't know a lot that are outward Republicans. But this debate was Freaky Friday. Because indeed, Sean Hannity was the moderator. Indeed, it was on Fox News. And there were times where it certainly felt like Sean Hannity and Ron DeSantis were teaming up against Gavin Newsom. Much in the same way that Republicans felt that Candy Crowley and Barack Obama were alley-ooping to each other during that debate with Mitt Romney. Much in the same way that Vivek Ramaswamy was trying to give voice to in one of the previous uh, debates. I think it was the last debate in Miami where he said that this should not be conducted by NBC hosts. This should be hosted by people who actually understand and care about conservative causes, or at least conservative causes that conservative voters, who are the base here for the primary, actually want to hear from or hear about. But I thought it's interesting. If you watch this as a liberal and you're like, oh my God, can you team up against Gavin Newsom more, please? Sarcastic then understand that that is the feeling that a lot of conservatives have. And they had it so much that they turned to AM radio and Fox News and conservative podcasts. So with that being said, here are my notes from the debate. The initial question, and and, uh, let me also just say this for the format, for Hannity. I liked their question format. And I don't know how much of this was negotiated between DeSantis and Newsom, but the, the, the Hannity debate format was state a question and then show the statistics that are the underpinning of that question for both candidates and the home audience. So, for example, the initial question was about the population change, the fact that a lot of people have left California and a lot of people have moved to red states in general and Florida, in this case, in specific. And then they show the, 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 the data for it. Now, we can say that the data is cherry-picked. Leave that aside for right now. I liked that format. I liked that 
at the very least, you were pinning down both candidates to either discuss those numbers or offer a challenge for those numbers. And it's there that I get to my first big point about Gavin Newsom. Coming into this debate, I thought that there was a very good chance he was going to get embarrassed. And the reason why was not because he's not a good speaker, not because he's not a good governor. Your mileage may vary on both of those. But because he has not faced a lot of hostility. You know, you look back at some of the clips of him as mayor and he melted down under hostility. He got really like storm out of the room upset when it came to oppositional questioning. And there was no doubt that he was going to get it in spades from DeSantis. I don't think he embarrassed himself. But I do think his limitation in aggressive questioning was revealed because he had a hard time getting outside of his talking points. And I don't believe he has a command enough on these issues to be able to slice and dice why these housing and urban development stats are different than the stat that you want to tout. Let's go to our first clip here. This is a question about taxes. Hannity takes the time to actually run across tax rates for income, property, and gas. And this is Newsom's answer. California, 8.84%. Florida, 5.5%. Governor Newsom, this is your question. Let me ask you. Obviously, you support a different philosophy, which is higher taxes. Yes. Uh, No, 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 hold on. No, we, this we is have a tax a, question, Governor. This is, this is a very different, uh, different approach, and I agree with you completely. Uh, he is one of the most regressive tax rates in the United States of America. He's the number three most regressive state in America. And what that means is simply this. Who does he tax? He taxes low-income workers more than we tax millionaires and billionaires in the state of California. The question is a simple one. Who, Ron, are you for? It's a factual lie that the state of California is high tax, has the highest tax rate. But for whom? And it's a foundational and fundamental difference. You look at states like Texas, overwhelming majority of Texans pay more taxes than the state of California. So, again, it's who you're for. And I think those values matter. And I appreciate you bringing up the issue of taxes. How many people leave Florida to go to California because they pay less taxes? Uh, I've not seen that. Are people going to from Florida to New York because they pay less taxes? Of course not. They come to Florida because they pay lower taxes. We don't even have an income tax. And yet California has a higher sales tax than we do. And that's one of the things that we do. By the way, the national implications on this debate are really, really funny. Because both of them were making fun of each other for either running for president, as Gavin did to Ron a lot, or secretly running for president, as Ron did to Gavin a lot. But obviously, both these guys want to be liked. I mean, all politicians want to be liked. Being liked is their business. It's not governing. It's getting elected. You got to get elected before you can govern. You have to be liked, and then we hope you're competent. Democracy. We moved to COVID, and this, again, is where Gavin just doesn't have command of the issues in the same way. Say what you will about Ron DeSantis, but Ron DeSantis is a nerd. That dude is a stat 
sheet nerd. You could sit him down in an hour long, two hour long conversational format, and he would be able to go through the stats on an issue in a way that nerdy politicians do. This is not a, a, you know, a new thing. Some politicians are really nerdy. Ron DeSantis is one of them. He's a data guy. He has a command on some of this to at least shape his political points in a way that reflects somebody showing different data. Gavin does it. And the problem is sometimes Gavin Newsom comes off as the Dunning-Kruger effect in a suit. Somebody that has enough knowledge to have read his debate prep packet but then when people ask, okay, but but what if somebody challenges you on this, hand waves away and goes, ah, I got it. I got it, kid. Don't worry. I feel like Gavin does a lot of, like, you guys can't see it on the audio, but a finger gun. So this really came to a head during the questions about COVID and specifically about the death rate. Because Gavin's debate packet said that Florida had an exceptionally higher COVID death rate. Problem is that in the intro to the question, by way of the CDC's own stats, Florida and California had a nearly identical death rate. And Florida with a little bit higher, although you would make the argument that if they're about equal, Florida probably did better because Florida has a lot older population. So they are more, you know. They're literally closer to death just as a baseline and uh, more susceptible to the COVID virus in terms of fatal consequences. All right. So here's the data, which I think is important. This is where the facts come in. Uh, Your state's death rates were almost identical. This is factually untrue. Uh, Hold on. Factually untrue. Okay. uh, And by the way, both your states with such different approaches, which is pretty fascinating, were both lower, significantly lower than the national average. These numbers come straight from the CDC. So, Governor Newsom, how do you you explain that? Per capita death rates in the state of Florida were 29 percent per capita higher. 29 percent of people, tens of thousands of people Don't unnecessarily lie about died. It. He put the graphic tens up there. Don't lie about it. Necessarily you don't need to lie about it. Because your policies. Just understand. You're lying you don't about need to lie about it. No, it's not. You were a lockdown governor. No, you not. locked down. Right, one at a time, Gavin Newsom, finish your thought. You locked down bars and restaurants. That's just a fact. He's running away from his record. He's running away from the fact. Tens of thousands of people died unnecessarily because he caved. It's 29 percent higher death rate in the state of Florida versus the state of California. Quick response, Governor. This was a very weird moment at the beginning of the debate because one of the most unsettling things about Ron DeSantis is him being happy and smiling. Gavin has a very aesthetically pleasing smile. Ron DeSantis just looks odd doing it. it. It's one of the reasons why I think Ron DeSantis should embrace being a grumpy nerd. He should he should just be get off my lawn. I'm sick and tired of it. I think that's people want if he's that battering ram, Republicans like him better than if he's trying to be likable. Uh, I don't think that that's a natural thing for him. He should say, yes, I hold beer bottles weird. I'm a weird beer bottle holder. 
I don't know how to do it. I don't know. Whatever. People act like I just I'm I'm odd. I'm going to do it weird and then make that cool. I don't know. That, that would be that would be my thought. The lead into this question is Sean Hannity saying that there are a lot of people coming over the border for Fox News. This is something that they have been wanting to confront a Gavin Newsom about forever because Fox News covers these things. They cover these things constantly. They cover these things like MSNBC covers Trump's ample foibles. They cover these things like MSNBC covers Joe Rogan, right? It's just a thing that's on their network a lot. Here is DeSantis on sanctuary cities. They go to the White House uh, briefing room every day. They say the border's secure. They are lying to you. We know that that's not true. Gavin Newsom is lying to you when he says somehow I supported these things, which I didn't do. He's also (laughs) lying to you uh, about what it's going to take to solve this problem. California is a sanctuary state. Uh, They thumb their nose at federal immigration law. And this has real consequences. Uh, There was an illegal alien, Herbert Nixon Flores, uh, who was in L.A., uh, in custody. He was a repeat criminal. ICE wanted to take him into custody because then they would be able to deport him. L.A. refuses to work with ICE, and so they wouldn't turn him over. They end up releasing him on the street. He ends up murdering the mother of a three-year-old little girl. Uh, that Those policies are deadly. Uh, they do not work. But Gavin ain't dead yet. He goes to his power punch, humiliating the fact that Ron DeSantis is getting his butt whipped in this primary. I'm going to answer your question. I, I support border security. I think the asylum system is broken. I believe that we need, I understand that. I, I'm the one that I'm the only guy here. It's a border state governor. You're trolling folks and trying to find migrants to play political games, to try to get some news and attention so you can out Trump Trump. And by the way, how's that going for you, Ron? You're down 41 points in your own home state. In another moment of double team, Hannity and this and DeSantis did the stations of the cross for the don't say gay bill. So they understand that Gavin Newsom is going to come in and call Ron DeSantis a book banner. He's going to call him a uh, 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 an indoctrinator, a radical when it comes to X, Y or Z. And so Hannity frames the question of education in the way that Ron DeSantis would really, really appreciate, which is reading the exact language of the don't say gay bill, the so-called don't say gay bill. They didn't really call it that. And DeSantis does his stations of the cross when it comes to it, up to and including pulling out a censored page from the book Gender Queer, which includes, oh, geez. Uh, I mean, I guess this is the point that Ron DeSantis wants to make is that I, I've just remembered that many of you are in uh, cars with your children. And so. And it's a depiction of two men. One man is looking down at his friend, another man who wouldn't be able to recite the alphabet. This is that clip. Or is it the role of the school? What is the role? The role of the school is to educate kids, not indoctrinate kids. It's not to impose an agenda. It's to do the basics. 
And what we've said in Florida is it's inappropriate to tell a kindergartner uh, that their gender is a choice. It's inappropriate to tell a second grader that they may have been born in the wrong body. Now, California has that. Uh, They want to have that injected into the elementary school. My Mm -hmm. wife and I have a seven, five and a three year old. We don't think that that's appropriate. I know most parents do not think it's appropriate. Uh, It's also important to respect parental rights to know what curriculum is being used in the classroom, and everything should be age appropriate. I actually have something that I brought that some parents have objected to. So this is a book that's in some of the schools in California. Florida, this is not consistent with our standards, called Gender Queer. Some of it's blacked out. You would not probably be able to put this on air. This is pornography. It's cartoons. It's aimed at children, uh, and it's wrong. So this should not be in schools. Newsom comes back, though, with his... In my opinion, best moment of the debate, which is framing Ron DeSantis as unlikable. Ron DeSantis is not a cuddly guy. Uh, Gavin Newsom is a charismatic guy, although I don't think a particularly accessible person. You know, that's why that's what made Bill Clinton a special political animal is that he was incredibly charismatic, but also you kind of wanted him to like you and and you kind of were happy when he acted like he would DeSantis is cold or sorry, uh, Gavin is colder, but still this is him doing a little. Mr. Smith goes to Washington on DeSantis saying, I don't like how you demean people. California, it's in our constitution, parental engagement. It's called the LCFF process. We actually require parental engagement on curriculum development. And we don't, complete lie, we don't require K through third grade sexual education. That doesn't happen until middle school. What you're doing is using education as a sword for your cultural purge. And you know what? With all due respect... You know, I remember in the 1970s, in the 1970s, we had a bill called the Briggs Initiative. And there was a guy by the name of Ronald Reagan, so offended by the Briggs Initiative, which was the original don't say gay bill. In that case, it was not allowing teachers that happened to be gay to teach. And Reagan had the courage to stand up. And he said, you can't catch gay like you can measles. I don't like the way you demean people. I don't like the way you demean the LGBTQ community. I don't like the way you demean and humiliate people you disagree with, Ron. I really find this fundamentally offensive. And this is a core value that distinguishes the values of my state and, frankly, the vast majority of Americans against the weaponization of education. We got to the abortion portion of our program. And, and I got to say, I, I really don't like DeSantis's argument here. I really think that if you are pro-life, you can't gloss over the reasons why you are pro-life. You need to bring an emotional component to this. DeSantis is too bloodless on this. He, he continues to say, well, look, I, I'm for a cultural life. I think it's better when everyone counts. No, I've I've said this before. I will say it again. The most impassioned pro-life political speech I have seen in the last 10 years was from Kanye West as he talked about how he asked his then wife, Kim Kardashian, to get an abortion and then started crying, saying, I almost killed my daughter. Like, that's the level of emotion you need to bring into a pro-life argument, because that is underpinning a lot of the evangelical perspective on it. You can't just run, you can't yada, yada, yada on pro-life, in my opinion. And then Newsom traps him in a, would you sign a six-week abortion ban nationwide? Ron DeSantis won't say anything. You got to have an answer for it. That is a, a failure, in my opinion. 
I got to say DeSantis faded a little bit until the very ending flurry in this debate. Uh, He wasn't as sharp at rebutting Newsom. I think DeSantis's superpower in these situations, especially if it's one-on-one, and this is something that he would have to get better than he was with Newsom if he does get into a one-on-one debate with Trump. You need to have a better command of the facts. And as the debate went on, he was not pointing out specifics. He didn't appear to be in command of the arguments more than Gavin. He did in the beginning of the debate. That faded a little bit. So I want to go to this moment just to show you where I think Gavin is not a good debater. And this was his worst moment, in my opinion. DeSantis and Newsom get into a back and forth about a special Olympics controversy, which to be totally honest, I don't even remember, but here's what I want you to listen for. How many times Gavin tries to run away from the topic and reframe it? Cause by my count, it happens four times in this clip. Take a listen. Women that seek their reproductive care. You're making it harder to vote. You're banning books. I mean, spare me this notion of freedom. Ask the folks at Disney about freedom and free enterprise. Ask the folks at the Special Olympics that you threatened to fine with 27 million dollars. Because they were discriminating against the athletes. Who goes after Special Olympics when it comes to the issue, Ron, of homelessness? That is wrong. That's being a liberal bully. That's being a bully. Really? They had Down syndrome and you wanted to discriminate against them. $27 Twenty-seven million dollars. They were discriminating against special because they were discriminating against the athletes. On the they wanted to marginalize the athletes, right. and you wanted the athletes <laughs> marginalized. That was wrong. What you did. These are kids with Down syndrome the way, that just wanted to compete. I grew up and working you wanted to adopt special them out of the kids. Special I've been Olympics. working with special You're a liberal bully. all my life. You wanted them to be. You wanted them to be you, ostracized. You threatened you to find special Olympians from Florida. Twenty-seven got to participate because we stood up for her rights. This is how you treat. By the way, right. no, it's, hold on. It's your, it's your no, no, turn. But let me say, Go. I can handle that. I can handle it. I'm used to that. But you know what? You wanted her Your not attacks to on the trans community, you your attack her on the gay and lesbian community. That's wrong. You attack vulnerable communities. We, we you attack women. And we made sure they could compete. Again, Ron, relax. I can handle it. I'm used to bully. You're nothing but a bully. You're I understand bully. that. Intimidating and humiliating people. That's your calling Why card. Why did you want the and special by the way, Olympians not to be well able to compete? How well is it going for you? Why how did you well want them not camp- to be able to compete? How well is this Why campaign going? Why do you not want them to be He's able not going to let me talk, so I don't understand the why you people. would want to discriminate Again, against Again, I'll remind you, Gavin, the, the blueprint, he wanted them the blueprint to be excluded from Florida. the Special Olympics let me, let me, has put let me, Ron DeSantis 41 points down to Donald Trump as you try to get tough without Trump Trump. Let's go back to the homelessness. The issue of homelessness has been an issue for decades. And then... The final bit of prop comedy. I know I gave a big high-minded speech at the beginning of this that I think it is better for the world. It is better for America. It is better for our own capacity as citizens of this great nation, especially when it comes to political dialogue. If people are talking to each other more, even if it's contentious. But this got a little silly. And this was the silliest it got into prop comedy. Ron DeSantis pulls out the poop map. Second response, you're, uh, so, well, I'm looking at total time. Governor DeSantis, yeah, look, about this, two this, minutes. This, this, he is, needs it. this is a map of San Francisco. <laughs> There's a lot of plots on that. You may be asking, what is that plotting? Well, this is an app where they plot the human feces 
that are found on the streets of San Francisco. And you see how almost the whole thing is covered because that is what has happened in one of the previous greatest cities this country's ever had. Human feces is now a, a fact of life, except when a communist dictator comes to town. Then they cleaned up the streets. They lined the streets with Chinese flags. They didn't put American flags there. They cleaned everything up. So they're willing to do it for a communist dictator. And there we go. That is your DeSantis-Newsom debate. Weirdly enough, they both agreed to go another 20 minutes. They were going to run over into the uh, the, the post-show that was scheduled for Hannity. And uh, uh, and then when they came back from break, they were like, oh, by the way, they both bowed down. So they didn't do anything past that. I think this was worthwhile for DeSantis. DeSantis is the only one who was actually running for president. I think it was worthwhile for him to run or to do this. I think it was worthwhile for him to debate Newsom. I, I There was a big fear that Newsom was just going to run over him. I do not think that was the case. Uh, and if that's... If that changes anybody's mind about the capacity of Ron DeSantis to be up on a stage and go up against somebody that people fear is a more charismatic orator than him, something that would have to happen if he's going to secure the nomination by, at this point, a statistically miraculous comeback, then that's good. It's good that he did that for his candidacy. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go if you want to support this program. Let's get into the stories that we didn't have a chance to cover. The Democratic Party in Florida has decided to include only President Joe Biden as a candidate on their primary ballot, excluding other candidates that have announced that they are running, like Representative Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson. The decision implies that no presidential primary will be held in Florida for Democrats. Phillips, who has recently launched a campaign against Biden, expressed outrage at this decision, accusing the Florida Democratic Party officials of rigging the primary and has threatened legal action. Under Florida law, if a party approves only one candidate for the primary ballot, the election is not held. That primary was scheduled for March 19th and will assign 250 delegates to the nominee. Phillips's campaign contends that the process by which candidates get on the ballot in Florida is unfair. If the party decides who makes it, the Florida Democratic Party, led by chair and failed gubernatorial candidate Nikki Freed, insists that they followed standard procedures. However, the party's delegate selection plan does not clearly state a deadline for candidates to request ballot inclusion. Phillips's campaign alleges that they reached out to the Florida Democrats in early November. The party spokesperson, Eden Gajnero, provides a different timeline, indicating that Phillips' team contacted them much later. The Democratic National Committee has offered to guide Phillips on the state party process, but his campaign did not initially accept this offer. The Democratic Party wants no part of Dean Phillips. Uh, Dean Phillips is there to embarrass Joe Biden's mishandling of New Hampshire, and that is pretty much where it's going to die. Still, the party of democracy actively going out of their way to shut down even nominal primary challengers for Joe Biden. Not a great look. Not a great look. 
Here's something that's not a great look for Chris Christie. The former New Jersey governor and Republican presidential candidate is at risk of not qualifying for the upcoming GOP debate in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, according to Politico's analysis. The RNC requires candidates reach at least 6% in qualifying polls, and Christie has only achieved this in two New Hampshire polls insufficient to meeting the criteria. His national polling average is significantly below the required threshold, and if Christie fails to qualify, it would be a significant setback, as he is the GOP presidential field's most vocal critic of former President Donald Trump. Christie's campaign remains optimistic about his chances, but his failure to qualify would certainly put the screws to say, you know, you're not doing all that well anywhere else but New Hampshire, and even in New Hampshire, you're in third Maybe it's time you pack it in. It looks like it's going to be a three-way dance in Alabama. DeSantis, Haley, and Ramaswamy. And in international news, following the expiration of a week-long truce, Israeli fighter jets resumed attacks on Gaza targeting Hamas. This development comes after efforts to extend the truce, which involved hostage exchanges between Israel and Hamas, faltered. Israel has agreed to halt its offensive if Hamas continued to release hostages. However, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu accused Hamas of violating the truce terms by not releasing all women hostages and launching rockets at Israeli citizens. During the truce, Hamas released 100 hostages and Israel freed 240 Palestinians. The resumption of attacks has led to significant casualties and the displacement of hundreds of thousands of people in northern Gaza. And that is your update. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you need to go. $3 level gets you two bonus episodes each and every week. Had a big congressional one on Thursday talking all about uh, George Santos. We broke down George Santos's outdoor press conference at 8 a.m. in the morning, 31 degrees. The Washington Press Corps, the real victims. I stand up for you, fellow journos. I stand on guard for thee. Sanders, by the way, might be expelled today, so keep an eye on that. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Let's get back to the show. Our guest today has covered Congress in a way that, in my opinion, no one else on the planet does. Combing through hearings that are often ignored by the mainstream press and explaining to you, the American citizen, what Congress is doing with your time and your money. Speaking of time, speaking of money, Congress does not have a lot of time to pass bills that will spend a lot of money to fund the government for the next year. To go over that compressed calendar, let's bring in Jennifer Briney, of the Congressional Dish. Welcome back to the show, Jen. Thanks for having me. And you're gutting it out, man. We just did like three hours of We're Not Wrong recording. And, uh, and we now did, we're, but now and now we're, we're talking Congress, man. Now we're actually talking Congress. Yeah. And here's the reason why I wanted to have you on to talk Congress is this is not only a weird time in that <laughs> we've got a lot going on. There's a lot that needs to get done but we're also moving into an election season when anything happening in Congress tends to get dicey because everybody digs in in their position because they are running for office. 
And there's a new speaker who needs to carve out his own lane. So I want to just get the, the rules of the road for everybody on what needs to get done and what can be expected to get done both as we end this year and begin the next year. What is top line for you? Well, so for the last, I want to say 65 years, approximately, Congress has successfully finished one thing every year, and that's the National Defense Authorization Act, which is the authorization for our wars. So the when it comes to our wars, um, there's the bill that says what you can do, and then there's the bill that actually funds it. Yeah. And that's part of the government funding process, which is a big old mess, and all of that has been kicked into the next year. But the Defense Authorization Act is due on December 31st. And so right now they're in a conference, which means that they have a version that passed the house. They have a version that passed the Senate. Both of them are approximately 2000 pages long. And so they've given themselves, I believe we have two weeks until they're scheduled to go home to work out the differences and pass that through both the house and the Senate. And because they've never failed to do that in the last six decades or so, I would expect that to get done, but then they have done so little this year that they haven't had a bill that's an opportunity to stick a bunch of stuff to yet. Yeah. So I do expect that to be the defense authorization. And that is what kills bills. And so um, especially in this Congress where with the the animating element of the rabble rousers in the Republican Party are very, very focused on that issue. Exactly. And I do know that there's been a lot of, um, you know, Tommy Tuberville, who's a senator of Al- from Alabama, mm-hmm. has been holding up. War damn eagle. Yeah, that guy, man. He's been holding up approximately 300 promotions for military officials. And the reason has been because the military is providing funding for people that are in the military who happen to have uteruses. And if they need to get an abortion, they're basically military is paying for the travel to a state for which that can happen. If they are on a base in a state where it cannot exactly. And giving them paid time off with the idea being that these women don't get to choose which state they live in. Yeah. And therefore they're being allowed by their employer to go to somewhere where they can get the proper health care. Well, Tarperville's against that. And there is an amendment in at least the House version that would have done the exact same thing. And so that's been a sticking point pretty much the entire time. They're going to have to work that out in conference, along with figuring out which dingleberries are going to get their um, get themselves hitchhiked into law. And so depending on how extreme some of those provisions are, um, even the thing that everyone considers the only sure thing in any Congress, it's not even we're not even sure if they're going to be able to get that done this year. And the repercussions of that, I don't even know because it's been 65 years. So what happens if the authorization doesn't happen? I'm not sure. But um, if I was going to put money on one thing becoming law by the end of the year, it's that. It's that. And because what they're actually working on is war um, and Ukraine in particular is actually in trouble without our money. So. I do think that what we're going to see in December is a lot of war. I think they're going to try and fund some wars and they're going to try and authorize them with the NDAA. They don't seem to be working on the the government funding bills at all right now. There's none of them on the schedule. Um, so I think the beginning of the year is going to be 
pretty crazy. And where, where, where did, how far did they kick the can on that? So four out of the 12 government <clears throat> funding bills are due on January 19th and the other eight, oh, Jesus, I know. And then the other eight are due, I think on Groundhog's Day, February 2nd, if I remember correctly, but we have a batch of four and then a batch of eight. And what's really concerning is that the house is acting like because they've passed some of them that they're just done. (laughs) But that's not the case at all because you still have to do the same process that I described with the national defense authorization act has to happen with all the government funding. So the house passes a draft, the Senate passes a draft. They have to work out their differences. (sighs) We're only at this first stage on some of them. And so I think the most likely scenario is that the Senate's been working on some bipartisan versions so our best case scenario is that those those Senate bills are the ones that become law because the House ones are full of all kinds of crazy stuff. They cannot become law in their current form. Um, they do not have the votes in the Senate. And so at a certain point, they, they would have to go to conference anyway. And the Senate is just going to say, well, let's just start with where we're at and see whether or not that has votes in the House in a bipartisan basis. Exactly. And, and it's not just because the Democrats control the Senate. I mean, there's crazy stuff in there. There's quite a few government officials whose salaries get reduced to a dollar that not even Senate Republicans are behind. Yeah. So those bills. That already happened with Pete, right? With um, Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Well, the transportation funding bill didn't get signed into law. So, yes, he's one of them. Gotcha. But so is Mayorkas. So is, yeah. there's a whole bunch of them. And so just because of that um, and other things. But there was a lot of things that were extreme and partisan put on the House bills. So the idea that they're done is so not true. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, we're really setting up for possible government shutdowns. The beginning of next year is going to be really crazy. And this is different from what I've seen in the past. Usually Congresses are two years long. And I always say there's the working year and then there's the election year. Yeah. And so usually everything that's going to get done is done by December. And I always call this my busy season because everything's becoming law right now. I have nothing to work on Yeah, <laughs> because they've done nothing. And I was this reading has been a failure to launch from the jump from the because beginning. of the fights on the Republican side. With uh, the speaker, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a part of it, but also not getting the government funding done, that kind of happens every year. Yeah. But the fact that the NDAA is in question, um, the fact that, you know, we, we say a lot that the United States is bankrolling what Israel is doing in Gaza, but the truth of the matter is there hasn't been a single additional penny appropriated to that war. Um, And then Ukraine, they are quite literally running out of our money. So there are things that you would in prior times expect to have seen done two months ago, especially after October 7th, we're recording this at the end of November. It's been two months. So the fact that Congress has done nothing is actually quite shocking based on how much support there is on a bipartisan basis for Israel in particular, Ukraine yes. is controversial. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to do, but based on what I've been reading from journalists in DC who I trust, there's a chance they don't get any of it done and they just leave on the 15th. It's a very weird time in this Congress. I mean, I've heard do nothing Congress before, but I'm always amazed at how much is actually done. That just isn't covered. This yeah. is a true do nothing Congress. I've never seen anything like they have this. They've not before. done none. Nothing. Uh, Mike Johnson, the new speaker. Yeah. Where, where are we, where are we at in terms of, he was handed kind of a poop sandwich, uh, uh, 
How has he wielded it? <laughs> well, the one thing that I've noticed that's changed since the last time we talked is that clearly he's had some conversations with Mitch McConnell because he does seem to be changing his tune on Ukraine. He is saying Ukraine needs our money. There is support for this. He seems to be willing to go against the right flank of his party when it comes to Ukraine. Yeah. Government funding, though. I mean, we don't know. Well, it, it sounds like the the version of that is it being tied up with other stuff, right? Yeah, so not, they not, want- not, not, not standalone. The, the thing that seems like and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that has fallen out of favor congressionally is standalone Ukraine needs this money, get that out the door for them by themselves. And what seems more in vogue as a likely middle ground is some version of Ukraine plus Israel plus border something, something right. So I'm not sure about that because what Biden asked the country for was a big package, but there are a lot of people that would like to debate these separate issues separately because they are separate. Yeah. And what the Republicans, at least some of them are insisting upon is no more money for Israel, Ukraine, unless there's some kind of major change in immigration policy. The problem is we don't know what exactly they're talking about. There isn't some bill that's already written that's been agreed to by the Democrats that you can just attach to this. So this is a major conversation about something that has nothing to do with Israel and Ukraine. No, but they're also injecting into this. So the package deal actually makes this even more messy than it already is. So right now they're talking about a package, but I could see scenarios in which it gets broken up. Or again, I think the most likely scenario is that they get none of it done. Honestly, I would be surprised at this point if we hit January and there's money appropriated for any of it. I wonder what the threshold is in terms of electability. From my perspective, the only stuff that matters here is whether or not you are able to go back to your constituents and say, hey, look what I did. My congressman here in Austin by a gerrymandered district that only takes my neighborhood and then a bunch of other more conservative (laughs) neighborhoods uh, is Chip Roy. Chip Roy went out and said, what am I just cut a commercial for the Democratic Congressional Committee and said, what am I going to tell my constituents? We haven't done anything. Yeah, Uh, I, I do wonder if there is any kind of limit to. Well. Either you didn't fund a thing I want or you didn't do anything. Does that make me more or less likely to vote for you beyond rank partisanship, which tends to be the way that things happen in general. Well, I think when it comes to political calculations, one of the reasons why we get these giant government funding bills usually right before Christmas is because no voters are really paying attention. Yeah. And so if they're going to continue to do nothing, I don't think there's a lot of consequences for doing nothing right before the holidays because all of us are kind of coasting through the holidays. It's what we do. And so I think when they come back, we're going to have these government funding crises. We have two lined up. Um, You know, that is when it's going to be time to do something. And so that's why I just don't think that there's a lot of people right now that are terribly concerned about kicking the can because no one seems to care that our government isn't funded. I don't think most of us have noticed since nothing has been shut down. Um, And when it comes to Ukraine, I think that's 
genuinely becoming a controversial topic. I think Israel in the last two months has become a controversial topic. I don't think that there's a clear thing that all Americans are asking for here. Immigration. I don't even know what the proposals are. So how do you be for and against? Well, I know that was the the word from Republican, the, the, the Republican orthodoxy on that initial bundle was it wasn't actually money for the border. It wasn't actually money for anything. It was mostly funding for the blue state governors and mayors who have been complaining about how many immigrants are in their cities. And so it was funding for their social systems and not anything to do with the border. I don't know. I mean, nothing has been signed. Nothing has really even been debated. So that's, you know, it's just one of those things that said that, you know, it's like like the the the, the Kevin McCarthy's. Oh, well, Kevin McCarthy got kicked out because he kicked he, he made a side deal and then didn't live up to it. And it's like, maybe, I guess, like enough yeah. people are saying it that that I have no choice but to believe that it's real, but I have no idea. I have no idea if this is the real deal or if this is just misinformation and spin because both these sides want to humiliate each other. Yeah. And I just don't like, and with that being the case, I don't know what issue is lighting up their phones right now. That is so clear that they have to get it done in the next two weeks. Yeah. But there's just, there's a lot, there's a lot they're trying to do that is truly controversial, which is why I think nothing is the most likely scenario. It's crazy with Ukraine that, the fever hasn't broken on what's the end game. I know, you know, I was at with, you know, heating this conference where you got a lot of people that are in a lot of really, really, you know, valuable positions, some in government, some in, in media, but these are smart people, really, really, really smart people. And I went to the panel on Ukraine and the line from everybody, smart people, is the same line that was there a year and a half ago when this started, which is Ukraine's a sovereign country. We need to beat back authoritarianism. Same stuff. Right. And I'm like, guys, this ain't a year and a half ago. Yeah. And if the smart people in a situation like this aren't talking about, Hey, but for real, how does this end? Like we're, we're there now. We're not, we're not in this place where Zelensky is Tupac and and he's doing uh, grimy videos from a, a bomb shelter. People are traveling. The, the war is in a stalemate. Ukraine's having a problem recruiting. The money is, you know, the purse strings are getting pulled tighter on, on the American side. I, I don't know how. And the elections have been canceled, which people yeah. have noticed. I mean, and that's, you know, uh, I just wonder congressionally, can you sing that same song of Putin, USSR, we need to beat this back because China's watching? Like, I, it, it seems like people aren't humming along in the way that they used to. I don't think so. I mean, it's it's been a stalemate for about a year. Yeah. I think the reality is the Ukraine has new borders and we don't have to like it. I don't like it, but there are there's a limit to how many Ukrainians are willing to die for this project that they know they can't win, especially if the goal is still to take back Crimea, which has been Russian since 2014. We're now talking about a decade, but officially in us law, that is what we are saying is the end game. So it's the fact that there is no end game from the Biden administration. And the fact that there have been almost no public hearings in Congress about this. I do think that there's also people in Congress that are getting very sick of 
not having the real conversation yeah. because the conversation seems to be make believe at this point. And um, I've been deeply disturbed by the lack of hearings about it. And so that's I think that is one of the reasons why we're getting so much pushback, because it does seem like there's reality on the ground and there's the wishful thinking and the, well, let's just throw another hundred billion at it. Like, no, I think there's just a lot of people at this point being like, no, what are we throwing a hundred billion at? What's the goal? It's still unclear. So, yeah, there's it's it's a controversial subject now in a way that it wasn't a year ago. I also wonder, and this is me turning on my full sociopathic political brain on. I think it's in the interest of both parties right now to continue these foreign entanglements Mm. from the Democratic side. They're the ones who have ran on it. They said it's very important. Obviously, the Democrats are deeply divided on Israel uh, in certain segments, but Ukraine is Biden's war. That mm-hmm. is his thing. It was it's it's his signature achievement was that they called Russia invading while doubting Thomas's like me and you were, 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 were wondering whether or not they were telling the truth. They were right. We were wrong. That's his war. But at the same time, for the Republicans, especially if Donald Trump's the nominee, and this is something I've said on the show a few times now, but like if you went back to 2015 and you said, I'm from the future, the next two presidents are Donald Trump and Joe Biden. One of them has a record in foreign policy that Putin invades Ukraine. Israel and Gaza is as bloody and violent as it's been in your entire lifetime. Uh, and the withdrawal from Afghanistan is a a gruesome telegenic fiasco that costs American lives. I think nine out of 10 people that you told that if you then asked whose foreign policy is this Trump or Biden's they'd say Trump. Yeah. That was the assumption is that the world would go crazy. And that is the picture of a world gone crazy. So I don't see any real, if we're only looking at cold political calculus, America has become more reluctant to embrace forever wars uh, on a bipartisan basis. I don't know what impetus the Republicans would have to 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 say, oh, no, we want to wrap this up for, for, for Biden before people go to the polls. I think they want bullets flying when when the election season's happening. As in. The Republicans would want they want to run as anti-war. I think so. I think they're running right now, especially the MAGA, the MAGA, right? The MAGA, right? Are, you know, that's it's something that there is also the reality on the ground in Ukraine, which is that without our money, Ukraine truly is screwed. Yes. And that matters. We did make promises. And once again, here's America saying we're going to be there for you. And we're not. So I have concerns about that, too. As much as I think this is a stalemate, I would love I would love to fund the wrapping up of the war, you know, like um, whatever those negotiations have to be help with the reconstruction, you know, based on our involvement <laughs> going back a decade now in Ukraine. I do think that we owe the people there something because we've been screwing with their politics for a really long time. I think the problem is we don't see the Biden administration being realistic and really pushing for the end of this, which would require 
ceding some territory to Russia. That's the dirty little thing that no one wants to say. But that is the reality of this. This will end when we decide what the new borders are. And they don't want to do also, that yet. This feels like a thing that would need other parties to be involved. Like, of course. Like this is not anything that the United States is going to negotiate with Russia. So it's like we're also at the mercy of like, you know, the Qataris are able and the Egyptians are able to step in and play a mediator between Hamas and the IDF because that region is networked up in a way that provides for that. I don't know who that is when it comes to Russia and uh, it's uh, China. I mean, and then that's even more of a political black eye. I know. Right. I know. If, if she's the one uh, in the center of a, of, of, of a handshake of, I don't think it'll be Zelensky and Putin, but, but you know, some Ukrainian official and some Russian official, like that's the, 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 the Beijing truce. But that, who else is big enough to do it? And who hasn't be the been EU. funding gotta both be, sides? Gotta be the, uh, but the EU has been funding the Ukraine side. Like we need a neutral party that's powerful enough to bring Russia and the United States to the table. I can't think of another country that's big enough and it has that power. Yeah. And, but, and the alternative is we just keep funding this forever and, you know, we might have to send in mercenaries because the Ukrainians have run out of men. You know, and that's, that's the thing. And in that conversation with, with, with the British American project, that was, it, it got me thinking that like, we still haven't fully understood the political ramifications of the Iraq war, mm-hmm. the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, because that changed the polarity of our political parties. It, you know, Trump for all the things that he said during that primary season, one of, I think the most impactful was attacking Jeb Bush on the Iraq war saying that Mm -hmm. your brother started the Iraq war. That was a terrible idea. It was very stupid. It got a lot of people killed. We didn't get anything out of it. Uh, The pushback on Ukraine to me, no matter what it is being sold as I see as blowback from America's unpopularity of that war and the fear that the longer we're involved in it, the closer we are to justifying deploying American troops. I mean, history there's, doesn't there's repeat deep, itself, there's but it rhymes. Fair, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I was one of those people that got radicalized, if you will. I don't think I'd be sitting here with you if the Iraq War didn't happen, because that's what opened my eyes to everything. And so when I look at Ukraine, I look at something where it's like, okay, are we going to fund this for the next twenty years just to lose at the end of it? Yeah, I think so. I think that we're not getting Ukraine that territory back. And I also don't know why it's our business. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And just from my own experience, I think if that war hadn't happened, I might look at things differently. But we've proven that we're not good at nation building. (laughs) We're not good at, you know, setting up new governments. And at the end of the day, that is the project in Ukraine and has been since Joe Biden and the people in the Obama administration I'm not going to say like orchestrated the coup, but participated in switching a government from one that wanted to economically partner with Russia to one that was economically partnered with the West. Like we and the other thing is, too, that we often don't mention is in these laws that are funding Ukraine. We're not just funding the weapons. 
We are paying for their healthcare system. We are paying for their government workers. Yeah. We are paying for their entire government, which is why it's such an existential threat, like quite literally an existential threat to the Zelensky government if we don't fund it. Because it's not just the military campaign that ends. It's their government. They yeah. don't have any money coming in. So, um, and I don't think the American people have ever signed up for that. I think we're having enough trouble with our own government. Why the hell are we paying for one in the other I part mean, that, of the world? That to me is the animating factor of the America first right of, of the yeah. MAGA right is, is cause that's, that's the reason why you hear the justification for why are we putting border stuff in a foreign aid package? It's because we don't want to spend a penny going out of the country. If we're not spending a penny dealing with the problems of our own country. Mm-hmm. Like that is straight out of the playbook of, 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 of the America first, right? Love them or hate them. Well, and it's a conversation I think we need to have for once and for all, because we haven't really discussed as a nation, the Iraq war, the Afghanistan work, all these different projects to change the governments of countries overseas, whether it's violently or covertly or economically is this a global project that we want to continue to be a part of? Or can we just be a country that interacts with different countries in the world that do different economic systems? Like we seem to still have people in power that believe that there needs to be one economic system that is centered around the United States. It's a project I think is quite demonstrably failing, but we're not at the part yet where we're discussing what's next. We have people like Joe Biden who has spent his entire career working on this project and Ukraine is a piece of that. It was his personal piece of that. Um, and I, I, I think that overall project, I think we're seeing it fall apart and yet we have clingers. We have the gerontocracy that are still clinging to this overall project of a global economic system based around the world trade center or not world trade, the world trade organization. And, yeah. Yeah. And I just, that's not a conversation we've had in this country. And I think it's time. Well, I certainly with Ukraine, I think time's up. Like, like we just, yeah. there, there needs to be a conversation and, and I don't know whether or not stuff is happening behind the scenes. Uh, the, the, the Biden book that I just read seems to paint the picture that Biden and Zelensky did not like each other before the war and don't particularly like each other now, but they're kind of staying together for the kids as it were. Uh, so Poor who knows? is Biden's guy. Yeah. Who, who knows exactly how, uh, uh, this is going to wrap up, but, I don't see a world in which we got a lot more time here in terms of authorizing money because Congress is a mess. And even if it weren't, if it were working together, you've got like you've got the power players that are on your side to get Ukraine money. But boy, do you not have the grunts? You don't have the house. The the, 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 the truck stop is is upset. Israel and Gaza. That's a topic that has a lot deeper roots in American policy. And I think Israel will continue to get money forever. Uh, the, the, the larger question is, are there tectonic plates shifting in the democratic party? That's going to cost them long-term. Well, even under these continuing resolutions, Israel, I shouldn't say they didn't, haven't gotten an extra penny, but they have this deal for $38 billion over 10 years. We're still in those 10 years. So they're getting $3.8 billion a year. And so every time we extend the current funding, as we have, they continue to get that money, they continue to get that money. So they're still getting that 3.8 billion 
a year. So they've gotten a little bit more. The question is, are they going to get the 14 billion on top of that? Yeah. That Biden's asked for. And at this point, I mean, we've seen that Israel seems to have plenty of weapons. So there's not the urgency, I think, to that one that there is to Ukraine, because when they say it's an existential threat, I mean, you hear that with Israel all the time. But with Ukraine, it's real. And it's it's beyond Zelensky and Biden and their person. This isn't about helping Zelensky. This is having the goal really is to keep a government in Ukraine run by doesn't matter. The yeah. one that's going to stay economically partnered with the West, one that's going to let the multinational companies come in, have access to the land, the the fracking that's like an never oil, been done. like an yeah. oil company. Well, and like maybe you could put somebody who's friendly to the American government son on the board of, of an oil company. Exactly. That's maybe an idea. And some of the largest areas where they have gas that has never been touched is in that area that Russia just took. So it's one of the reasons that they don't want to accept these new borders is because Russia got quite a bit of that gas. Um, But this is a project to have a Western friendly, a multinational corporation friendly government in place. They don't really give a shit about Zelensky as long as the next guy is going to partner with the EU and the world trade organization and not Russia. That's the actual goal here. And I think the American people haven't really been told that in that framing. And so I think this is all very confusing for Americans. And I think we've kind of had it with sending hundreds of billions of dollars overseas when we haven't really been told why we're doing it. And I'm not really sure. Putin bad. It's Putin's Putin's, Putin's price hike. He made gas more expensive. Yeah. And I think. But now it's cheaper again. So he lost his gas powers. Yeah. I think saying, um, well, they did a bad thing and we have to punish them. I think that um, that's not working as well as it used to. Let's get back to Congress real quick to wrap up. Uh, we mentioned all the very important things that need to happen. Deadlines that we have never run through might be run through. And of course, right on schedule, just as uh, uh, Congress has all of its work laid out for it. Here comes the junk food. Hunter Biden offering to testify uh, uh, before Congress. He seems to want to go on more of a war footing as opposed to being chased around by the Republicans in the House. What do you make of it? Oh, it's so fun. I love that he is saying, sure, I'll testify for your crazy ass committee, but I'm doing it in public. And the Republicans are like, well, we have to do the private one first. I think the Republicans would love to be able to twist what is said behind closed doors. Um, and I think that Hunter Biden is, I don't know if it's smart for him to be testifying, but he should want all of it in public. And that way we can see it for ourselves. And so, uh, you know, if we're going to have a crazy Congress, like let's go, let's have a good show. <laughs> I'm all for it. Cause I want to see someone ask him, what was your contract with Burisma? Why did you get hired? Why were you getting 50 that like, I want to hear his words. Yeah. About all of it. And it's not, you know, in order to impeach Joe Biden or any of that shit. I'm still curious about what happened in 2014 in Ukraine and Joe Biden's role in all of that, because yeah. it has led to this war. This, this very is, this expensive is, this is bloody the, war. the firing of the investigator. And, and that, that is a part yeah. of it. And the reason that we even know about that is because Joe Biden. 
Biden bragged about it. If he had never said that, yeah, we might not even that know he, that about he explicitly it. said you're not going to get the money a unless you dollars. unless you fire the investigator, and then bragged about how the investigator was fired before he left. Yeah, the quote I believe was, "And son of a bitch, he was fired." <laughs> like he bragged about it, and so I would love to hear Hunter's perspective from his own mouth, and. So I welcome it. And I just I find it fascinating. And the Republicans have kind of backed themselves into a corner here because they're getting exactly what they said they wanted. But they wanted it behind closed doors, I think, for nefarious reasons. Um, I don't trust James Comer, who's the chairman of that committee, as far as I can throw him. So, yeah, bring it on. Give me some. Give me something fun to report on on congressional. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it, it just. I don't know because my political awareness sort of came online around the Lewinsky stuff. And I feel like that's where a lot of this became extraordinarily salacious that it just became contact, uh, a political football. Yeah. But I would assume that the reason why the Republicans want to do it behind closed doors is because all of these Trump scandals started with behind closed, closed doors testimony that was leaked selectively uh, by by Adam Schiff and and such and and that was you know they were able to drip drip you know keep that drum beat going and make it take a story that would normally be a gigantic circus for two days into I mean geez they spread out the Mueller stuff for a year and a half yeah. right you know and then when that flamed out they just got right into the Ukraine stuff and and uh, actually impeached them so well we talk about it all the time the erosion of norms and I think. Both parties keep playing like, oh, well, you did bad things. So now I can do it. And so we keep having worse and worse behavior. Yeah. And now we have the worst Congress I've ever seen. So I'm excited about it just for, I don't know, (laughs) like it's it would be fun. But I also think that there's a difference between the Monica Lewinsky stuff and this because the the implications of what Hunter Biden's being accused of in Ukraine and Russia or Ukraine and China it actually does matter. Yes. So I think there are more real than, questions more than to be even asked. the Republican perspective on Lewinsky, which was that he lied under oath. Like, yeah, this, like, this okay. is this is literal pay for play in and, the wake of a regime change. And the only question is. Was it more nasty graft? I mean, because the, the funny thing about the Biden stuff is that it doesn't really even seem like. Hunter is denying what he was doing. I think the perspective is, yeah, that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. Like my, I was blessed with the ability to get paid millions of dollars because I can call my dad, but my dad's decision is my dad's decision. My my only job is to let him know my facts on the ground. That's not graft. That's just DC influence. That's my job. It reminds me of um, Senator Menendez. His defense for himself is like, well, sure. My wife was arranging meetings between me and the Egyptians. But like, that's just how D.C. works. Like there is this it's norms, right? They think all of this is normal. And I think the American people are trying to figure out where the line is. But I do think there's something fascinating about the fact that these people are saying, well, this is just how it is. That's just what it is. Yeah. Like, like that's that's the craziest thing about it is it's, it's, it's not even like. 
the argument is, no, I wasn't on the board. No, I didn't do this. No, I the, well, I had secret experience in the fossil fuel industry. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've loved gas since I was a little boy. Like, there's, <laughs> you stop it. Yeah. Like, there's <laughs> there's really none of, of that. It's it's this very stark thing from the Joe side, which is like I never. Well, first, it was I never had any. You know, I never heard anything, which now seems demonstrably untrue. Yeah. Uh, but but the, the the real fire line is I did not benefit financially from it. Uh, now, who knows where and how any kind of smoking gun would appear to prove X, Y or Z. But and I wouldn't actually be surprised if. Joe Biden didn't benefit financially from it because he's a political zealot. I think what he's really in it for this project of, you know, having a world economic system that's based around the West. Like, I think that was his motivation in Ukraine. His son getting a job was like, okay, I just don't have to worry about Hunter right now. Like he's got money. Do your thing. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case, but I would like to know if there was a connection there or if Joe Biden has done things using his power over the government of Ukraine for companies that were paying his son, like that's an abuse of power. And he did. Joe Biden had a lot of power in Ukraine from 2014 to 2016, a lot. And so um, if he's abusing his power, I think we need to know about that. And so I do think that this investigation is more serious than I think people on the left are. I mean, are, are seeing based on how I follow this, my gut reaction you know, obviously I don't know anything more than what has been publicly reported is that Hunter's job was going to be Joe's job in a world where Obama picked Hillary. Hillary's going to be president for eight years after that eight years, which is coming up now where we were supposed to be getting to the end of Hillary's second term. Uh, he was, he would have been too old, ironic. Uh, uh, <laughs> and so he was going to be out of electoral office he topped out at vice president and now he was just going to step into a job just like his son that his son had paved the way for. He would just be a guy about the world. Maybe he starts a fund like the Clintons or something like that. So yeah. it's, it's a little fancier than just getting named to boards, but that was the world. He was the guy who had the Rolodex hire me and you know enjoy everybody that I can make a call uh, to. There's so many powerful people I see. I look them up on LinkedIn and they're on like 12 different corporate boards. Yeah. And that's, they go to lunch. Did you watch the Devin Archer interview with Tucker? No, I do not recommend a lot of Tucker interviews. <laughs> I cannot get through a lot of them, but I watched all of the Devin Archer one. And I thought it was very, very interesting. Uh, mostly because his point of view was like, this is normal. Yeah. In D.C. It is like and and a lot of it is not nefarious. A lot of it isn't Bob Menendez getting a bag full of cash and a car for his <laughs> you know, mistress so uh, uh, he can write legislation. It's it mistress. It was his wife. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize to the happy couple. <laughs> uh, it's it's a lot of crap. This permit that we need for a project has been held up in the forestry division for two years. Do you know somebody in the forestry division that you can call to get this approved? And it's, it's stuff like that. It's a lot of very mundane bureaucracy reasons why you have powerful people on boards. And 
Sometimes you have the vice president's son. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> it's after a revolution or after after a, a governmental change and a yeah. philosophical change in how things were were, were were aligning. And sometimes you brag about firing the investigator into your son's company and holding up money for it on camera. And you laugh because it's a funny joke. You know, I don't know. Uh, uh, we'll see. But, but it sounds like you think that there is is more substance to this than some on the left are giving it credit for. I do. I just don't know if the people in charge of this investigation are even trying to go down that road because I don't think they're necessarily against the 2014 They mostly just want to show change. Hunter's butt on C-SPAN. I think they just want to impeach Joe Biden and they're going to f- figure out. Some way to do it. it. Yeah, Yeah. I think impeachment's become a bit of a game in Congress. And so I I question the seriousness of their particular investigation, even though I think that there should be an investigation into what happened in 2014, especially with the consequences now for Ukraine. But I don't think that's the investigation we're getting here. Yeah. Well, they're already late because the Democrats impeached Trump twice. So unless they can impeach Biden three times, they've lost. That's true. That's the rules. Yeah. That's the rules. Congressional dish. Everybody, please, please, please listen. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to uh, thank Jen Briney for coming on the show. Head on over to letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Email theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, px3tweets. On Twitch, px3live. You can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. Hey, uh, we're going to be hitting the road in the next few weeks. So any little bit of uh, support helps not only on the Patreon, but also of, with a one-time donation, paypal.me slash payjury. You can hit me up on Venmo, justin-young-20, cash app is px3cash, and you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is Post Office Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. But the only place that you get bonus content is... TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets you that plus your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Ye old pinball shop. John, DP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy Mack, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Brian, Edison, Jeremy, a dog named Checker, Sarah Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, his nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslanian, Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic Terran, Molly's delightful demeanor, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, D. Laser, Nick, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Jen, D. Really, Chopper, Andrew, Adam, L., uh, Gloria, my mom, Niemeister, and Jay. Thank you guys so much. Uh, have a good weekend. A lot of crazy stuff happening out there. Uh, uh, be safe. Be smart. It's getting a little cold. Stay inside. Hug a loved one. Go out to a nice dinner. Just know that when you come back for patrons on, on Sunday night and for all the rest of you on Wednesday, I'm going to be waiting here. I'm going to be out in the fields chopping down all that political stuff 
and then bringing it, bringing it back into the hearth. And I'm going to, I'm going to fashion it in a fine way that you're going to find exciting and informative until then. This is your old pal, Justin Robert Young saying uh, some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. Dog and Pony Show Audio.